Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. I am here today. I'm Heather Stark, your host, and I've been doing this show for, gosh, a couple of years now. And uh, surprisingly, we've never run out of uh, things to say. Uh, It it kind of amazes me sometimes. (laughs) But uh, nevertheless, we are here, and today we're going to do a hot topic, I think. This uh, topic is one that I've actually tried to avoid, I think, a little bit, because um, you're not going to change anybody's opinions one way or the other. It just doesn't work that way. However, um, I have been... doing a lot of reading recently, and it seems to me that um, the issue of abortion should be um, addressed, and not from the standpoint of, oh, this is right, or this is right, or you're wrong here, or you're wrong there, simply because it's been in the news off and on throughout the last couple of years with different legislation that's being enacted in different states to um, alter abortion as we've had it for several years, for many years, I guess, a couple decades. Joining me today is Megan Burbank. She's the communications director of NARAL Pro-Choice Washington, and of course, NARAL is the National uh, National Abortion Rights um, Association, or League. Help me out with that, Megan. Uh, We're the the National Abortion Rights Action League, yeah. Actually, there we go. And she's got degrees from Smith College and uh, the School of Art Institute in Chicago, and she's a rather prolific writer and a uh, feminist, and she is here to talk with me today about some of these changes. Welcome, Megan. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay. Um, before we get started, I want to put out our phone number. You're welcome to call us. Again, the focus of the show isn't changing everybody's opinion on what they, they think about abortion. The focus of the show is some of the changes that have been happening uh, and legislation that has been affecting abortion uh, in our country. So phone number 646-378-0430. Again, 646 646- Three seven eight zero four three zero. Give us a call, and if you'd like to join into the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. So, Megan, I've been doing some research here, and I've seen the kind of numbers here that um, are a little surprising to me. Supposedly, in the last two years, there have been over 200 or almost 200 um, acts in various states um, that have uh, altered the right to abortion or the um, access to abortion or the way abortion is carried out in this country. Have you seen some of those articles? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty staggering. I think the the report that you referred to earlier from the Guttmacher Institute I think is probably the most um, uh, impactful to look at because we're seeing that we had 205 abortion restrictions between 2011 and 2013, which is a huge leap from previous years. So it's definitely something that's escalated. Yeah, and if you want to go check this out yourself, it's the Guttmacher Institute, G-U-T-T-M-A-C-H-E-R, and you can just Google that. And they did a report recently on laws affecting reproductive health and rights of the 2012 State Policy Review. And they have a, a graph there. I don't know if you've seen that one, Megan, but that graph is kind of like, you know, from the last 25 years or so, and it's got uh, a little bar gra- or a little um, uh, line graph that shows different legislation that was enacted or, or uh, over the, the decades. And it's all hovering right there near the, the bottom line. And then all of a sudden, we get a spike in about the last, uh, oh, I don't know, five years or so. And uh, that continues to spike through last year. So attitudes must be changing. Uh, something must be changing. In any event, uh, we're seeing all of these different um, laws taking effect throughout the states. So uh, am I right there, Megan? You are right. It's it's pretty um, 
I mean, it's pretty undeniable when you see it laid out visually like that, for sure. Yeah, it is. It is, it is. Um, and uh, some of these states have really shocked me. I think the one that I thought about this morning was, um, was it North Dakota or North Carolina? The, the um, legislation that, oh, it was, yeah, it was North Carolina. And they had come up with this legislation or this law that said that anybody who wants to go uh, have an abortion has to undergo an ultra-scan an, or an ultrasound scan, and I believe they were the ones that were requiring the transvaginal ultrasound. Is that, do you know offhand? Uh, I don't know offhand, but I, I mean, that's that's kind of what we've been seeing is this um, this effort to create barriers between women and access to abortion. And generally, it does take the form of something like, a, you know, a compulsory ultrasound or biased counseling. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, well, that's that's definitely consistent with what we've seen. Yeah. Well, and the interesting uh, thing yesterday, it just came through that this uh, North Carolina law that required women to have an ultrasound, the uh, federal judge says yes, said yesterday, nope, that you can't do that because it requires a woman to have a medical um, a procedure that uh, is not necessarily, you know, required, uh, medically necessary. And so the judge said, "Nope, you can't make these. You can't compel these people or their their providers, healthcare providers, to um, to do that." And he said, and the judge actually said a kind of interesting thing, and he said, "It's an impermissible attempt to compel these providers, meaning the doctors, to deliver the state's message in favor of childbirth and against abortion." So that judge made the connection between requiring medical procedures uh, as being a, a, a way the state can encourage, or, well, it can encourage childbirth over abortion. And that's kind of an interesting thing, I think. It is interesting. And it's also, um, I think it's something that we can we can consider good news. Um, another thing that I think is, is interesting to point out in this conversation is that um, there was a recent new study that found that women who were forced to view their ultrasounds often went on to have abortions anyway. So um, it not only is it an invasive practice to, to force people to undergo medically unnecessary procedures, it's also um, not effective as a, as a way of of prohibiting women from actually getting an abortion. Well, that's, what struck me so interesting about that is that um, in this day and age, when everybody's talking about access to health care and, and money going to health care and how can we trim that health care, here's a state that's requiring a uh, uh, health care procedure that isn't even medically necessary. Um, and that just struck me as, wow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we seem to be talking out of both sides of our mouths here. We you know we want we want everything in healthcare to be uh, cheaper, and in many ways we're redefining what is reasonable healthcare. And here's uh, you know here are these states at random saying you know no let's let's just do this healthcare procedure. This one is okay, <laughs> even if there's no you know medical necessity for it. So kind of struck me as odd. But of course, North Carolina isn't the only state um, that's doing these things. We've got Texas, and they passed yes. a bill last um, last fall, just this last fall, that requires doctors who perform abortions have admitting privileges to hospitals within 30 miles of their clinics. Now, I'm not quite sure I understand this because I thought most doctors did have admitting privileges, but the article that I read said that. Um, this caused um, a couple of, uh, I guess, a dozen abortion clinics in Texas to close. And at least uh, uh, most women have to go as far as about 300 miles to get uh, find a clinic to have an abortion. Well, maybe you can explain this to me, Megan. I, in the first place, you don't have to go to a clinic to have an abortion. You can go to a private doctor. Um, but, of course, it's probably more expensive. And... Um, I don't understand why the doctors wouldn't have privileges in hospitals. Most doctors 
do. So could, can you help elab- uh, in, in enlighten me on that one? Sure, yeah. So the thing about, about abortion is that it's, it's a very safe procedure and it's a very common procedure. And so it's, um, you know, I'm looking at a recent uh, article that Rolling Stone published actually called uh, The Stealth War on Abortion, which I would really recommend to anyone who's interested in, in learning more about this. But abortion is already a very safe procedure. Um, the mortality rate for abortions is, is they report it's 0.67 per 100,000 procedures, um, which wow. is actually lower than, yeah, that right, is, it's, a, it's very low. It's very low. It's, it's actually lower than, lower than the, childbirth. Oh, yeah, it's lower than childbirth. It's even lower than, you know, for something like a colonoscopy. So we're not looking at something that's an extremely dangerous and risky procedure. And so um, oftentimes what you'll hear is that, actually having admitting, admitting privileges to hospitals nearby is not something that's considered necessary for the work that's being done. Um, and so that's, that's one thing. Another thing to point out is that oftentimes hospitals, if they, if they are religiously affiliated, will refuse admitting privileges to, to nearby abortion providers. So it's complicated. Um, and, you know, I know that some clinics in Texas, like Whole Woman's Health is one that comes to mind, was actually able to obtain admitting privileges, so they, they, they closed temporarily and they're able to reopen, but it does place a burden on, a, on the clinics because it's not something that's, that's entirely necessary. I mean, I don't think it's necessary at all, and um, it's also something that may be difficult for them to get for ideological reasons. Um, the interesting thing is... Yeah, very few dentists uh, have hospital admitting privileges. Um, and yet, I should have looked up the statistic. I, I'm pretty sure that there's a, a fairly um, significant rate of deaths from uh, in, in dentist's offices. Um, I should look that up. But um, there's no requirement for a dentist to have hospital privileges. Um, and oftentimes, they do administer a, a general anesthesia. So that's an interesting thing. I wonder if, um, yeah, so how, how come, well, anyway, that's my musings. How come dentists wouldn't have to have hospital privileges? <laughs> well, so, I think it seems again, it's, it's one of those, it's a, it's a distraction from the real issue. So, I mean, sure. abortion is, the legality of abortion is only as good as your access is, right? And so, um creating this kind of aura around it as if it's this complicated, dangerous thing that needs to be regulated is one way to justify creating legislation that hurts women's access. And so I think that's really what we're seeing. I think that's the, the real reason behind these, these types of laws is um, they're not medically necessary. But, yeah. but you know, it's, it's one way to, to cut off access. Yeah, that's true. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Mississippi. Um, Last year, Mississippi passed a law that requires all doctors to have admitting privileges, and uh, because of that, all but one of Mississippi's abortion clinics have closed. So we've got Texas, we've got Mississippi. Um, In North Dakota, they've taken a different approach. They're, um, (laughs) They're trying to redefine personhood as the moment when the sperm meets the egg. And right. that's still pending, but it's, pa- it's passed. Um, it will, of course, drastically reduce abortion rights because any time would not be legal to have an abortion. I mean, from the moment the sperm meets the, meets the egg, I mean, when is that? That's when you're still, you know, don't mean to be crude here, but that's when you're still snoozing away. Um, so it would be impossible if that passes to have an abortion at all in that state. Have, have yeah, you heard the, that one? I have heard of, of that one. And the personhood legislation, you know, I don't, I don't know as much about that. Um, I know much more about, about regulations on clinics and things like that because that's, that's what we see a lot of. Um, but, yeah, the personhood legislation is, is is pretty interesting, especially when you consider that we've also talked about personhood for things like corporations. Um, so yep. it's it's definitely one to watch. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Michigan, um, 
the governor, I guess, the Republican governor of Michigan, uh, opposed to this, but nevertheless, um, they banned insurance coverage for abortion last year. And that provision even includes cases of rape and incest. And I think a lot of people who are anti-abortion um, kind of hedge that if there's rape or incest pregnancy result, you know, resulting in pregnancy. Um, however, right. these folks in Michigan aren't having any of that. And uh, that will take effect this March. Um, of course, there is an appeal, but, you know, if nothing changes, that uh, ban in, on insurance coverage will start in March of 2014. So, um, Wow. So who's going who's gonna to take care of these babies that are forced to be born for people who can't afford to leave Michigan and go somewhere else? I, I don't understand from an economic standpoint um, where that's helpful. Well, I think that abortion funds will probably end up um, having to fill the gap. So I think for anyone who's wondering how to help out, now would be a great time to donate to abortion funds in, in states like Michigan that have this type of legislation. Um, mm -hmm. Because when, when yeah. insurance coverage isn't available, this is, I mean, they kind of, the slack falls to them. Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's move to Colorado. Um, they passed... Um, well, let me see. They didn't pass it, but they put a fetal personhood amendment on the ballot this year. They, they got enough signatures to do that. So this personhood thing is um, when they try to define the moment that uh, this biological uh, bundle becomes an actual human being. Okay? Right. And... Um, in Colorado, they, they kind of have something interesting. I, I, I went to the University of Colorado, Denver, for my master's degree, and, and it never ceases to amaze me that the disparity between the conservatives and the uh, liberals in Colorado, it, it just seems like it's this huge gap in the same kind of geographic area. Nevertheless, Colorado uh, is going to go uh, for this personhood amendment and uh, they started that basically because there was a woman who was pregnant, was, uh, I guess, hit by a drunk driver and died. And so there was this huge uh, upswing of people who wanted them to charge the guy with murder not just once but twice, once for the fetus. And I think they actually did that. I'm not positive on that. And so then there was this whole thing of, okay, if that fetus is a person, then let's define what a person, when personhood happens for everybody. And I can understand the conflict in that. I mean, if you, if you are, if a woman is pregnant and she is killed, then is it twice the murder? I, I don't know. Anyway, they, they've gone for this personhood thing. Uh, and that will actually be on the ballot this year. Have you heard of more of these? these kinds of things, Megan? Well, I've heard of, of personhood amendments um, that, are, that are largely arguing for the same thing, which is to, to say that, that life begins at conception and that we're talking about um, embryos and fetuses as, as people with separate rights. Um, I think what I find sort of um, questionable about this is that when you actually look at how doctors treat pregnant patients, um, they treat, they treat, they'll treat the woman and the fetus as a unit because, um, you know, pre-viability, that's, that's kind of how it works. So, yeah, so I think this is kind of a big, a big hole in this personhood argument. Um, I don't really think you can say it's a, it's a, it's a separate person until, until viability, which I think is also supported by Roe versus Wade. Yeah, and viability, of course, means able to exist outside the world. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, and um, the argument for that one is that um, we're able to take younger and younger uh, fetuses who are born and keep them alive. I'm not sure the statistics on, um, you know, long-term effect of that, um, but because I think they can, you can have a baby now at like 20 weeks that they can keep alive. Um, so that muddies things because, you know, at 20 weeks sometimes you can still have an abortion. Um, oh, and I know what else I was going to tell you about. This one just floored me. Um, I saw 
uh, an article. Here it is. North Dakota, yesterday, or uh, I read an article that North Dakota, um, they're the ones with the first note thing, they have banned mm-hmm. abortion because of Down syndrome or any kind of genetic uh, uh, chromosomal issue. I heard about I that, yeah. Thought, yeah. I mean, I thought a lot of people uh, chose abortion if there was going to be a lot of fetal uh, genetic problems. I mean, I never have, so I don't know for sure, but it seemed to me that that was one of the reasons that people wanted the right to abortion. And now North Dakota is saying, well, you can't do it because of Down syndrome, which kind of begs the question, well, then um, I'll just do it, and you don't know that it's Down syndrome. I, I I don't understand this. Help me, Megan. Help me. <laughs> well, I think I think that laws like this are definitely difficult to enforce. Um, I also think what's problematic about this is that they it's just it's just the wrong approach. I mean, I think that there was there was actually a great editorial in the New York Times by Allison Pipemeyer that I think anyone who's interested in disability rights and abortion and where they intersect should should have a look at. Um, and her argument was that when women when women choose to have an abortion for fetal indications, it's often a heartbreaking decision. It's not something that's made that's made lightly. It's typically it's something that happens with um, wanted planned pregnancies, but it has to do with um, you know not wanting to bring someone into the world who's going to have a painful life with just a poor poor quality of life. Um, and and without without necessary supports, so it's a really personal decision. Um, and I and I also think um, she makes a great point in this editorial, which is that if we want to make the world better for people with disabilities, we need to start doing that in other ways. Um, and targeting abortion seems like a pretty counterproductive route to that. Um, and so that, well, I know. that you know, I, I mean screening more of a social safety net and um, and fighting discrimination and things like that. It's not, I, but I think, so it, it seems uh, it seems quite misguided to me, personally. Yeah. Well, I know people who have uh, a child who has uh, uh, disabilities and, and birth defects, and they, you know, a lot of them will swear that this is the one, most wonderful thing that's ever happened to their family. And for that, I am happy for them. But... I must admit that when I was pregnant for the second time, which, of course, has been about 100 years now, um, (laughs) I really thought about it. You know, what would I do if this child, um, and, of course, I had an amniocentesis, and I kept thinking, if if this were my only child, I'd have no problem saying, yes, of course I'd, I'd keep this child. But I have another child. Is it fair to the other child for me to bring in a, a baby that would require so much of the family resources, the family attention, and, you know, I'm just glad I didn't have to make that choice. I can't imagine having to make that choice. And um, I, like you, I've never known anyone who had an abortion as a casual birth control method. It's always been a gut-wrenching decision for them, Uh, which doesn't mean that there can't be women out there who who don't do it cavalierly. I, I, you know, I understand that. But I think for the most uh, part, women are really... um, impacted by um, a choice to have an abortion. When my daughter was young, she came to me, Megan, and she said, "What do you? so what is your opinion on abortion? And I said, honestly, I think abortion is awful, I think it's terrible, and I think it's horrible. But sometimes the awful, terrible, horrible choice is still the best choice. I think that's true, and I think sometimes that's the nuance that seems to be missing in these very uh, anti-choice right-wing pieces of legislation. Um, Because especially when we're talking about fetal indications, when we're talking about Down syndrome and things like that, the choice to terminate a pregnancy is something that should only be left up to to, to women and their families. It shouldn't be something that's dictated by laws. So... So what's the future of this legislation? That Guttmacher report indicated that this, uh, these trends will continue, if not increase, this coming year. Um, do you see that as happening? Well, that's what they've projected. Um, and 
I think I think it may happen, but I'm also seeing seeing some pushback. Um, you know, in our state, Washington, we're having an entirely different site, which is um, working to pass the Reproductive Parity Act, which is an entirely different conversation and one about making sure that insurance covers abortion care if it also covers maternity care. So, uh, you know, and I think that we can look to the to the federal judge saying that. Um, North Carolina's ultrasound abortion law is illegal as as another step forward. So, I mean, I think we are going to see these continued attempts to uh, to invade women's women's privacy and to and to reduce abortion rates. Um, but the thing is, they don't work. This is we've seen through through um, actual statistics on this that that they don't work. That women will still seek out abortions if they need them and some may resort to 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 pretty pretty upsetting options um if they're not in a position to access care so yeah so i would say you know one of the articles i read a few more of these but yeah go ahead one of the articles i read said that these laws may be restrict are not restricting abortion they're restricting access to abortion Exactly. To safe abortion. That's the key. Yeah. 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 Safe yeah. Abortion, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it it is safe to have that procedure done in this day and age. Um, okay, so I what, what if I'm a, an activist and I feel very, very strongly that these restrictions are not appropriate? What's the best course of action for me? Well, I would say that... Um, it's it's really important that your elected officials know that. And so one thing that people can do if they live in Washington right now is um, is to go to our website, ProChoiceWashington.org, and click on a button to urge, urge your legislators to pass the Reproductive Parity Act to make sure that we have protected access in our state. Um, and then also one thing that you can always do is reach out to states that are um, less supportive of access to care and donate to abortion funds, um, write letters of support to clinics. I think that there are a lot of things, small gestures and big gestures that you can that you can make to show that this is access to to healthcare is is not something that we want to be messed with. Okay. What and just the opposite. What if I'm anti-abortion? Absolutely anti-abortion. Um, what are those folks doing? I mean, are are they cheering? Um, <laughs> what's what's well, you know politically what's happening with those folks? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, you know, and I think that the anti-choice movement is very galvanized right now. But at the same time, I think that if you really care about reducing abortion rates, the best way to do that is to support access to comprehensive sex education and birth control because those are the two things that actually contribute to lower abortion rates overall. Making abortion illegal or inaccessible does not reduce rates of abortion. Well, that brings us back to these, this personhood stuff, because technically some um, um, birth control methods do not allow implantation of in the uterus of the fertilized egg, which means that an egg could be fertilized, but the birth control method will just not let it latch onto the uterine wall and start to develop. Is that abortion for some people? It, it seems to me that if they pass these personhood legi- this personhood legislation, that that would indeed be considered an abortion. If you're a human being from the time the egg is fertilized, well, if something stands in the way of that fertilized egg developing, then that would that be an abortion? Some people, I I've heard that argument, but it's if you if you talk to um, you know a doctor. It's that's that's a totally different thing. So I think um, you know some people think that emergency contraceptives are are basically they they conflate RU486, which is the abortion pill, with something like Plan B, which is the morning after pill. And so I would say the short answer, no, that's not an abortion. Those are two separate things. Um, the longer answer would be that I think that one of the misconceptions we've seen from the the religious right is 
is this conflation of birth control with abortion, um, even though it's medically and scientifically inaccurate. Well, you know, when people have such heartfelt beliefs, um, usually accuracy and research doesn't play a large role in their decision-making. And um, nobody's going to change anybody's opinion about something that's this deeply held, I think. Um, That's my opinion anyway. I I don't think that you can set out to change someone's mind because it's probably not going to happen. Um, but what you can do is be informed about what's happening and um, decide whether or not that's something you want to go along with. Um, I think sometimes people um, who don't um, particularly want us to have the right to an abortion as an option sometimes change their minds if something happens personally in their family. Um, And, you know, God love them. I, I, you know, I, I, you certainly have the right to change your mind. And um, most people, I think, just kind of hunker down and are waiting for other people to make all those decisions, in my opinion. And um, that's probably not the best plan of action, folks, no matter which, no matter which way you feel about the issue. Um, the political action thing um, has to be a huge component of uh, of of this because we're talking politics, we're talking laws that everyone must abide by. So are there other states that I've missed, Megan, that have put some of these restrictions and conditions on abortion that you know of? Oh, there are a lot. I mean, I mean, you know, talking about 205 abortion restrictions in three years, we've seen them all over the country. Um, I think... You know, there the North Carolina ultrasound law was pretty pretty damaging. Um, one thing that I would just point out is that a lot of these laws are take a similar approach, right? We see things like mandated that transvaginal ultrasounds um, or biased counseling, and that's because they come from model laws that are produced by anti-choice groups. And so, um, this is not. This is not just sort of an independent legislator coming up with these ideas. It's part of this this large targeted effort to reduce access to abortion. So mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that's important to remember. It's not just it's not individual states. It's a it's a targeted effort. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it certainly seems to be. Um, my question is. Um, is, well, I don't know whether you can, I don't know that anybody can answer this, but are these efforts, these individual efforts, significant enough that eventually people would just say, well, let's just out, outlaw abortion altogether uh, and go back to the way it was pre-1971? Well, uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think I can answer that question. Um, but what I will say is, I think that I think we can't afford to go back to 1971. And I think in some parts of the country we're we're already seeing significant issues of access that are putting us um, in a similar position. So I think you know I don't think that that we can speculate on that exactly, but um, you know things are things are quite dire in in places that that have issues of access. Um, you know, in in Washington State we have a relatively decent number of abortion providers. I think 56% of counties don't have an abortion provider, and that's actually much lower than we see in other states. So, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that shocking? Um, 56% yes, it is. Me. without uh, is considered a good thing. <laughs> um, so... But I, what I will say is that we also have seen some proactive pro-choice legislation. So if you look at uh, California's recent legislation about expanding um, who can perform abortions to specially trained, I think it's nurse, nurse practitioners and midwives, um, that was that recently passed, and that's going to expand access in that state overall. And so I think, um, and you know, you you of course see that in the Reproductive Parity Act here, we're working to expand access to care and not diminish it. And so I think that, you know, we are seeing significant setbacks with this nationwide targeted effort to reduce access to abortion care, but there are also 
pieces of legislation that are actively working against that. And so I think as much as possible, if people are pro-choice and they want to be really active um, in battling uh, legislation that reduces access, one great way to do that is to, is to work towards um, the opposite, to, to create, to take pro-choice, proactive steps forward. Yeah. Um, when I was young, which was, as I said, 100 years ago, um, we, I lived in Ohio, and abortion was not legal in Ohio in the uh, 70s, or early 70s anyway. And so anyone I knew of would go to New York, you know, to get an abortion. Right. Uh, because it was legal in, in, in New York. But you had to have money to do that. Um, it it yeah. wasn't... Uh, you know, and then you'd ha they'd have the abortion in New York, and then they'd drive back to Ohio. And if there were any you know, any, um, you know, any any post-operative care that was required, they just didn't get it. Um, yeah, it puts women in a very so, in a very unfair and vulnerable position. I think that's true. Yeah, um, and um, you know, oh, go ahead. No, well, go ahead. I'm I'm interested in what you have to say, and I think I've been yakking too much. So, <laughs> oh, not at all. You go I, ahead. You know, I've listen to this kind of conversation for a long time. Um, I think one thing to consider is that um, this is also a, a class issue because if you have enough money to access abortion without something like insurance coverage or uh, Medicaid coverage, you're already in a better position than someone who doesn't have access um, at all. I mean, it's it, it's only as, as, I, as we always say, it's, you know, right is only as good as um, your ability to actually exercise it. And so um, one thing that we've been seeing is in states where there isn't Medicaid coverage of abortion, um, and there is in Washington, by the way, which is which is great, um, and I think that, um, you know, it's, that sets us ahead of the country, certainly. Um, we, see, we see situations where women can't access care, um, you know, not just because of insurance restrictions, but because the, you know, the cost of getting to a clinic. If you have to have a mandated ultrasound or you have a waiting period, that places the burden on the woman. And so if she's in a financial situation where she's already having to save money for this procedure because her insurance doesn't cover it, that just creates, um, you know, a whole sort of tangled knot of problems that stand in between her and accessing the care that she needs. So I think we still see that yeah. sort of access issue that you were just describing, um, you know, even today. Yeah. I'm shocked when you say, you know, how little access um, even those of us in Washington have. And I think, as you said, we're one of the, the more liberal states when it comes to uh, exercising the right to abortion. Um, and, and, you know, even then, it stinks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, it's true. It's, it's pretty know, unfortunate. It's like, uh, yeah. Um, well, I think, uh, yeah. And, uh, it's uh, it's just kind of amazing to me. Um, one, maybe you can help me with this, Megan. But one thing that I've always felt is that, okay, if you don't abortion, if you don't like abortion, don't have one. Why would you restrict somebody else's decision? I don't know. I guess if you hold belief strongly enough, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we have a caller, Megan. So let's go to our caller. All right. Caller, are you there? Uh, yes, I'm here. This Hello, is caller. your this is your friend Rita Henry Jensen from Women's Z News. Oh, hi, Rita. Rita is the uh, editor at Women's E News, a great online publication, by the way, and uh, she's been a guest on our show before. So, thank you for joining us, Rita. You have a comment? I do, and. Um, I wasn't able to listen to the entire discussion, but I think I'm familiar with the the broad outline, <clears throat> and it's really alarming what's happening, of course. But, you know, Heather, I'm very concerned the fact that the issue of maternal mortality in the United States 
has no traction. There's no legislation out there. There's no um, political candidates that I know of that make an issue of the fact that uh, the U.S. has the highest maternal mortality among developed nations. And at least half of those deaths are preventable. And there can be public policy initiatives that could reduce those numbers. So what's so alarming is uh, all the attention on the woman um, to control women's bodies, etc., and on the other end, a total um, tune-out. So I'd love you and your guests to comment on that. Yeah, that's a good point, Rita. Thank you. Megan, do you have any comment on that? Yeah, Rita, that's a that's a really important point. I think that we don't talk about that nearly enough, so I thank you for bringing that up. Um, what I would say is that... Um, in, in the United States, a problem that we have is that we just don't have enough support for women who who do have children. And so um, we see that in our maternal mortality rates. And we also see it in the fact that we don't offer maternity leave, um, paid or otherwise. I think we're, there was a really great infographic that was put out recently about this. And I think that we were, we, we rank very low on the list of countries that that provide paid maternity leave. Most other developed countries provide paid maternity leave. And so when we talk about access to reproductive health care in a broader sort of reproductive justice framework, um, these are certainly things that we need to address. Not only making sure that people have access to abortion care, but making sure that they also have support in place for um, when they decide to have children. And then it's um, again going back to when right. I when I was a child, um, the mantra was that you know um, if you had to make a choice between the mother and the baby, you chose the mother because she had the potential for making more babies. Um, you know, and of course that varied from person to person. That wasn't uh, you know written in stone, but that seemed to be the general feeling of people you know out in my neck of the woods. And now you don't hear that. Um, and as a matter of fact, in a lot of uh, places, in a lot of states, they're choosing the infant over the, um, the fetus over the mother. I'm thinking that one state right now, Rita, maybe you know, uh, but there is a state right now where they're fighting because this young woman was declared dead, no brain activity, no sign of life, but she was pregnant um, fairly early in her pregnancy. Her husband um, said, you know, okay, she's dead. Her family said, take her off life support. And yet the hospital continued to keep her on life support like she was some sort of brooding facility to just grow this child that her family doesn't want. They said that the child was without oxygen. You know, the, the mother experienced death. The mother died. And yet they're keeping this fetus alive, and the family says, we don't even know if, what damage has been done to this child. And you're keeping this, this woman on life support, even though she's dead, she's been declared dead. So it's like, wow, you know, who's making these decisions for this family who's going to have to take care of this baby? And um, it, to me, it's, it's just shocking that they would choose to just, keep this woman on some sort of life support, I mean, talk about the dignity of death. I mean, she's not even allowed the dignity of her own demise. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm editorializing a little bit here, but um, that's kind of like the ultimate example of caring more about the fetus than you do the the mother. Which I think um, is symptomatic of all that's going on. And by the way, the state is Texas, so... I'd yeah, like to your guest to fill you in extensively. I should have known. About... <laughs> Tell the world what's all that's going on in Texas. It, it just, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me regardless of your views on abortion, if the mother has died, she died. I mean, she didn't have an abortion. She probably wanted her baby. Um, but she's dead. <laughs> to, to force this, this cadaver to continue to um, 
brood, to breed. I, I, I just don't understand that. It seems so cruel to me. Well, it's, I think it's a, it's a really heartbreaking example of how far anti-choice laws can go. Um, this is a case where the woman, um, her name is, is Marlise Munoz. Um, she was a, was a paramedic, I believe, and her, and her husband was too. So they, they, um, you know, and she had, she had made her wishes known that she didn't want to be on life support and her family does not want her to be on life support. Um, and they've made this clear and they're actually suing the hospital now because the hospital privileged this obscure law about protecting access to care for pregnant women, for pregnant women over the wishes of their patient and their, and her family. So uh, I think it's, you know, whether you're pro-choice or, or you don't support abortion, I think this is a case where we, we are just seeing that these laws are potentially extremely damaging for women and their families in ways that we can't necessarily anticipate. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Rita, you, you are so knowledgeable about the rest of the world. Um, does the rest of the world struggle like we do? I know that there are countries where it is just illegal, period, the end, um, and there are some countries where it is uh, legal. But even in England, which I associate with being one of the more uh, liberal um, uh, countries when it comes to abortion, even the United, uh, United Kingdom is starting to see huge restrictions on abortion. Are you seeing this worldwide? Um, I'm not seeing it worldwide yet. Um, but you're right about England. We wrote about that several years ago. And I think, and also, of course, many nations in uh, South America have very restrictive uh, abortion policies, including jail, you know, for, the, for the woman who seeks an abortion or has one. So there are extreme examples, and um, some of that does go back to the influence of the Catholic Church, I have to say, even though I was raised Catholic. Um, and, and that's disappointing, extremely disappointing. What I, 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 uh, we're having a story come up shortly about the situation in Brazil where um, the president has created this bizarre law that requires every pregnant woman to register. And ah! that, yes. Will they? Will they? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't and know if we keep track do, of that database. Yeah. I mean, really. Well, now, theoretically, it was so uh, that when they gave birth, they could get the support they needed. But those of um, are concerned about women's health um, um, aren't quite so sure. <laughs> they really yeah, are hesitant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. So, I, I, wow. Yeah. And, and, and uh, again, I mean, um, Brazil has a high maternal mortality rate, even though they have access to excellent health care. Oh, part of that is the high C-section rates. That's an issue. But the other half of that is the the restrictions in the punitive nature of the abortion laws. Mm-mm. And, you know, although there's been discussion in some places about um, ab- uh, abortion when it comes to um, uh, you know, physical problems or, or um, developmental issues on the part of the fetus, but the, and uh, as well as rape incest issues. And it seems right. like I'm not hearing anything much uh, in the news media anyway about any exceptions to some of these draconian rules for um, rape or incest. Um, what happened to that notion? I think it got lost in the shuffle. <laughs> okay, maybe I wasn't clear, which you know happens. Um, when uh, you know, it seems like we've always had discussions. When we've had discussions about abortion, about well, rape or incest, that those were considered exceptions. And now I'm not seeing that those are considered exceptions anymore. Um, uh, it, it just 
isn't happening. I, I read uh, not too long ago about some child, she's only 11 years old, um, molested by a family member, and she is pregnant. And the family is saying, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this wonderful? And I think that's in the United States, by the way. Um, where did this notion come from that any pregnancy is a good pregnancy, no matter what it results from? Well, I think we are seeing the, those exceptions left off of some pretty extreme anti-choice legislation. But we've also seen restrictions. Like there was one proposed in South Dakota to ban abortions at something like seven weeks, which, is, which I think that is unprecedented um, because that's extremely early. We've heard of 20-week yeah. bans, but a seven-week ban is, is, is beyond extreme. So I think that's well, and again, if we're talking about genetic seen. defects, yeah, if you're talking about genetic defects, many of those take uh, 20 weeks before right. you can they can be diagnosed. Right. So, wow. Um, so we're going back to that state that just outlawed um, abortion for reasons of genetic defect or gender. Uh, North Dakota. Wow. Um, so, what is Rita? What's the other rest of the world think about us with our abortion struggle? Well, I'm, I'm not in touch with the rest of the world um, because you know uh, <laughs> you're, you're more in touch than I am. <laughs> I think a lot of the women, for example, in the the Middle East, are like, oh, we don't know why you're so hung up on this because you know we. We have different issues, and the yeah. when they in the Middle East they they don't invade a family's privacy at that level. That's a family decision. Um, I think in Africa the as we all know we have the don't ask don't uh, women the 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 global gag rule, which required a lot of um, healthcare providers to shut down or other, change their practices because during the Bush administration, uh, anyone who received U.S. aid was not able to either inform, perform abortions, inform their patient on the availability of abortion, or advocate for abortion rights in the public policy arena. Now, the first one of the first things that uh, President Obama did was to... It's called the Mexico City policy. We get rid of that. So now there's a real focus, and I've read reports that throughout the, the African nations, below the um, you know what the area called the Comena, which is on the top of Africa, but um, below that there's a real understanding that in order for to reduce maternal and infant mortality rate, you need access to trained birth attendants, access to family planning, and access to abortion. Those are the three elements. And um, what we've seen worldwide is a decrease in maternal mortality, and that can only happen if women have a full range of reproductive health care. That's the bottom line. And so there are, in Africa, which we associate with such high maternal mortality rates, it's actually going down. In the U.S., the maternal mortality rate is going up. Interesting. So I, again, it's, Rita, you know how long it's been since I've had babies, but when I was pregnant, <laughs> the rate was 1 in 5,000. Um, you know, uh, women would die during childbirth. And, you know, <laughs> one in 5,000, I realized that That's having a, a baby was one of the riskiest things I'd ever done in my life. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, um, I really, seriously, I mean, I put together a will. I did, you know, because it was risky. One in 5,000, my goodness, you know. Wow. And uh, I'm disheartened to think that that might not have changed for the better. Um, you know, to have a baby is a, is a. I don't think, you don't it's, think it's that, that high, high now. 
No, it's well, uh, depends on who you believe. We have a story on Women's News about the lack of solid information about the U in the U.S. But the World Health Organization estimates in the U.S. twenty one per one hundred thousand. So, however you do the math, wow. it's, yeah, it's high. Yeah. Well, then that's improved since I had <laughs> since I was having babies. So that's good to know. <laughs> Um, but, wow, this is such a weighty topic. And, uh, you know, I continue to say nobody's going to change anybody else's opinion. It's just, it just doesn't work that way. Um, however, just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you can't um, respect another person's opinion and another person's rights. And it's discouraging to me that um, in our country we tend to put so much emphasis on one particular area of life, and um, it, it, it is discouraging to me. Rita, do you feel discouraged by this? Megan, do you? Well, I don't feel discouraged because I, you know, I think that there are solutions, and I think that we need to we need to locate them and work towards them. And so I think, you know, it is it is heartbreaking to see a story like the one about Marlies Munoz in Texas or um, Savita Halpinavar who was in, um, who, who died because she didn't have proper treatment for a miscarriage because of abortion laws in Ireland. I think these are extremely heartbreaking stories. But I do think that we have an obligation to, to locate to locate the solutions and make sure that we work towards them on a policy level. Yeah, yeah. Rita? And me? Am I discouraged? Am I, am I discouraged I am, here? No, because um, what I'm seeing in my lofty seat there as editor um, is a whole, um, a whole cadre, a whole uh, generation of women in their 20s who are saying, what? No way, and and that's across the board. And um, as they Good. become more powerful, more educated, more organized, and the other, you know, they're 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 going to maintain, if not expand, women's rights in the U.S. The other thing, of course, is the Pope. The Pope has suddenly, the Pope Francis. Um, he hasn't done what w women within the Catholic Church would like for him to do immediately, which is make women priests and forget the fight about abortion. Uh, that's my understanding of the majority of women who are Catholic. So, but he's wiggled a bit. And the previous popes have not wiggled at all. Part of that yeah. wiggling is a direct result, of, I, think, I believe, of what happened in Ireland. Um, that poor woman who died and her very articulate husband and family who are saying, excuse me, how could you let this happen? So, no, I'm not discouraged. I feel like I'm a servant to the next generation. I'm like, here you go. Here's the information. Go get them. <laughs> yeah, it's the time to pass the torch. Well, yeah. Rita, thank well, you. and we're happy to take you. And Megan, thank you. It was very informative what you had to say. Do you have any final thoughts, Megan? Well, I just, you know, I think thank you so much for having me on your program. And I'm, you know, of course I could talk about this for a long time. But I think what's most important for people to take away is that even though these restrictions are happening and this is a huge problem, um, we can work towards proactive solutions. We just need to find out what they are. And I think that Great. making sure that that we're doing things like making sure that we have uh, insurance coverage for all maternity care options, including abortion, um, is definitely a step that we can take in our state. Great. Well, and we're talking Washington, but we're really talking about all the states where this uh, message is going out, and all the countries, too. So, yeah. uh, I appreciate that. You know, I usually try to end our show with a quote. And I found so many quotes from Mother Teresa, and uh, although they're wonderful quotes, hmm, didn't seem to really fit the topic right now. Um, I did find a quote from Dorothy Parker, who said, it serves me right for putting all my eggs in one bastard, um, which, you know, kind of <laughs> sums it up as well. And um, the uh, finally one I think that we could end the show with is Margaret Sanger. 
No woman can call herself free who does not control her own body. And I think that, uh, you know, most of us feel that way, whether we're for abortion or not, um, that we need to have control over ourselves. Thank you for joining us, Rita and Megan. Thank you, listeners, and uh, we will see you next week. Thank you, Megan. Bye. Thank you. Bye.